This is Barry Zalma speaking for Claim School Incorporated with another true crime of insurance fraud video, number 50, entitled, I Did It, Arson for Profit Being Admitted. One of my investigators met with the property manager of an insured to start the investigation of a fire claim believed to be an arson. Since he was just starting his investigation with a walk through the burned-out shell, the investigator was making conversation with the property manager. Steve, how long have you managed this property? About six months, Steve replied. It seems, the investigator said, the fire started here on the service porch where the damage is most severe. Do you know how it started? Sure. The manager replied with confidence and no sign of concern. I pulled a mattress off one of the beds stacked up against the wall by the service porch and lit it with a Bic lighter. Once it was burning well, I left and drove four blocks away and came back in time to see the flames coming from the building. I heard sirens, so I just drove home. Why did you do that? the investigator asked incredulous and trying to stay calm. The owner asked me to burn the building and said he would pay me 10% of whatever he got from the insurance company. When are you going to pay him? I sure could use the money. The investigator then asked for permission to record a statement of Steve. As the property manager repeated his story on the tape, the investigator held his breath and tried not to look shocked. He had the statement transcribed, and the next day the property manager, trying to be helpful, returned to the investigator's office and read and signed, under penalty of perjury, the transcribed statement. The most unusual and dangerous statement a fraud investigator will hear from an insured is, quote, I did it, close quote. The professional fraud investigator knows that it is improbable that anyone would ever admit to a crime when faced with such an unlikely occurrence, the prudent investigator will remain skeptical, because Steve had admitted to a crime that would probably put him in prison for five years. Insurance fraud is usually a stealthy crime. It is most often committed by intelligent people who plan their crime well. They know that the best means of hiding a fraudulent claim is to admit everything surrounding the claim except the fraud itself. I worked as a fraud investigator and lawyer for 25 years before I obtained my first unsolicited confession. That confession caused me to work doubly hard to verify the statement, corroborate everything told to me and determined that it was truthful. An insurer, bound by the covenant of good faith and fair dealing, cannot safely use a confession of a person who reports he conspired with the insured to commit a fraudulent claim without first obtaining independent corroboration. Corroboration must take the form of statements of independent witnesses who lend credibility to the confession. There are usually only three reasons why a person will confess to a crime. One, 
guilt and a need to cleanse one's soul. Two, knowledge that the crime has been solved and a confession might result in a more lenient sentence. Or three, spite. The confession is a method to cause harm, either financial or criminal prosecution, to a perceived enemy. The investigator of the arson case was experienced. He knew better than to accept a confession, even one given under oath. The sworn statement was only usable to defeat the claim if it could co be corroborated and if the corroboration established that it was a fire set on behalf of the insured with the insured's knowledge and the insured's intent to defraud the insurer. Without corroboration, it's useless. He explained the need for corroboration to see. We'll talk to Manny McGee, Steve replied. He was with me when I started the fire and drove the car I used to leave the scene. When questioned, Manny McGee confirmed Steve's story. Yes, I was there when Steve set the fire. I thought he had gone nuts. He knew I was on parole and couldn't get involved in any kind of crime. I was so upset with him, I almost made him walk. Did Steve tell you why he was setting the fire? Yeah, he said the owner had promised to let him repair the house. He knew he could make more money if the house was damaged in a fire. Did Steve tell you anything about the owner? Oh, I know the owner. He's a cheap son of a gun. That's why I believe Steve when he told me the owner wanted him to rebuild. He knew Steve wasn't a licensed contractor and would do the job a lot cheaper than a licensed contractor would. Have any of the owner's other buildings caught fire? I don't know any of them. The owner is cheap, but he doesn't seem to be dishonest. The investigator, after meeting with Manny, was becoming more confident. He had certainly established with an independent witness that the insured's property manager, Steve, committed the crime of arson. He had not established, however, that Steve set the fire at the request of the insured or as part of an attempt to defraud. The investigator, hired by the insurer, contacted the insurer and advised it of its obligation to report the confession to the fire department the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the Fraud Division of the Department of Insurance. He requested permission to do further investigation and to retain counsel to examine the insured under oath. The insured granted him permission and authorized him to cooperate fully with the fire department and the ATF. The investigator was concerned that he only had the statement of an admitted arsonist, and his co-conspirator, a convicted felon on parole. He needed hard evidence to either establish that a fraud had been attempted or that the insured had been falsely accused. The first investigative technique used was to search by a computer for information concerning the insured. A statewide real property search revealed the insured owned over 40 pieces of real property in the state, all but one income-producing single and multifamily dwellings. 
He had no criminal record, and his civil litigation record was minimal for a person involved in business. He also owned and operated a chain of 14 laundromats. He did not seem to have a motive to set fire to a small, single-family dwelling. It was time, therefore, to confront the insured with the information that was available to the investigator to give him the opportunity to refute Steve's accusations. The insured, a busy professional, made the time for the investigator. In the living room of the insured's luxurious 5,000-square-foot house in the hills of north of Upland, California, the insured answered all questions posed to him honestly. He provided the investigator with all of his business records, copies of his tax returns, and his entire file concerning the involvement of Steve as a property manager for five small houses in Riverside County. The insured explained that he had recently been forced to fire Steve because his work was shoddy, and some of the rent Steve collected never came to the insured. Steve had threatened to cause harm to the insured and had almost succeeded. The insured's claim was eventually paid in full. Steve, whose attempt to harm his ex-employer, was blatantly stupid. He faced two felony charges, one arson and or two perjury. His case was evaluated for possible prosecution and the prosecutor, since he felt no one was harmed, since the insured was paid, refused to prosecute. The insurer also authorized counsel to sue Steve to recover the money it paid to the insured. However, after checking Steve's lack of assets, a decision was made not to sue, and the arsonist walked free. And fortunately for the insured, a thorough investigation protected him from having to defend a spurious arson-for-profit claim or insurance fraud claim. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud Costs Everyone, which is a supplement to my two-volume book, Insurance Fraud which are all available as Kindle books and paperbacks from Amazon.com. Thank you for your attention.